Okay, at this time we're blessed to have our second message for today from Pastor Steve Andrews entitled, Keep Them From Evil. That song was very appropriate, praise the Lord, for what is done in this congregation. Uh, I don't know how many mornings, uh, early mornings, that I would wake up and pray for the deliverance for those that were suffering with this COVID thing. And when I heard how sick Ken was, I was praying that he would be well, be strong. And then a miracle when Barnabas anointed him and things began to, to change in his life and was um, heartwarming, strengthening, whatever you want to call it, um, in our faith that God still hears our prayers and still answers those. And so continue on in praising God, honoring God, honoring the Son, and keeping the faith that he will hear your prayers and, and, and answer them. Because we have seen it. We know that it happens. We know that it's there. We, um, we are very blessed um, in the congregation, but also in the understanding that we have. Uh, the truth that God has opened our eyes to uh, in the world, they, there's kind of a blindness there. We know that. We understand that blindness. And so we, we know that when God opens our eyes to the things that he's opening to, that uh, there's, a, uh, there's a tremendous miracle that happens. Uh, Jesus' final prayer was, was so profound, and, and he was so moved to pray for his disciples before um, his passion, his crucifixion that was going to, he knew was going to be extremely brutal, extremely difficult. And, but his, his heart, his mind, his thoughts were on his disciples and the future for those disciples. In John, the, the 17th chapter, and I have that written down, um, and I'm going to begin in verse 14. And this, I actually got all these written out, so I'm going to try to go slow enough. If you want to go and turn to the, to the scriptures, you should be able to. He says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And it's interesting, in the, the, the United States that we live in, we have a great deal of freedom. And I'm just wondering if God is preparing us for some things that are coming up in the, in the future here that's coming. Because we have just, as a congregation, we literally have gone through a, a trial by fire. Um, when you have that many that, that get sick and... and um, and not able to, to get out, or we have some elderly ones that are uh, somewhat uh, 
afraid to come to church because of the uh, still the potential for COVID. So uh, we want to we want to understand that God has called us out of this world for a particular purpose. In verse 15, which is the one that I have flagged, I pray not that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil. That was Jesus' thought and prayer for his disciples also. And you know, they, they all suffered in many different ways. All of them were... Um, either crucified or killed in one way or another, except for John, who spent his time on the island of Patmos and probably died of old age. But it was his prayer that they would, you should keep them from the evil. And I, it's interesting, uh, and I was looking this up, that word um, is poeros, it's a, a derivative of um, the Greek word 4192, and it can mean hurtful, that is evil, properly in effect in influence, uh, and thus off, uh, differing from uh, another Greek word, which refers rather to essential character as well as from uh, another Greek word, which indicates degeneracy from the original virtue, figuratively calamitous. Also, passively ill, that is, disease, but especially moral, uh, morally culpable, that is, derelict, vicious, uh, fasnorious, uh, nude or singularly, mischief, malice, or guilt, masculine, the devil. And Matt was mentioning this last week. It felt like the devil was attacking him with his COVID stuff. You know, we don't know. It's, it's a, it has been a trial by fire, hasn't it? In many ways. Now, even though I, and, and my wife and I haven't had anything like it yet, and I hope we don't, but I'm, and we've been exposed to it several times, so I'm not sure what, um, what that means. But we have also had our trials that have come into our family. So I know that God is with us. He loves us, and he is directing and leading our lives. So it can also mean the devil, or sinners, bad, evil, grievous, harm, lewd, malicious, wickedness. That, that, that word is <laughs> very, very, um, very, very bad. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Verse 16. Verse 17. Sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. Verse 20. I'm going to skip down to verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but them for them also, which shall believe on me through your word. And so how do, I, how do we protect ourselves? How do we, how do we grow? How do we uh, really strengthen our faith and, and it's very simple we all know this and we've all um, read it many many times but we become very familiar with God's word study to show yourself approved unto God a workman that needs not be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth 
And as Matt was saying last week, the Psalms were comforting and strengthening to him. And that's, that's part of what we are, that God is directing us, leading our minds and our hearts. And maybe that's the healing. The Word is healing. It's like a, um, a healing water that comes in. It's, it's healing to us. And so we understand that we need to understand that we're, we need um, a depth of understanding that the Spirit can give us, rightly dividing the word of truth, so that when we are in a trial or under a, a very difficult situation, we can turn to God and be in faith and understand that He will bring us through it. We're also blessed... Um, they have a great deal of understanding about the things in the world and what's happening in the world. And I'm just going to pick one particular incident that's coming up. All of us understand what's going to come about, uh, come about here in, uh, tomorrow night. And I picked a, a Jehovah's Witness article, and I thought it was very, in, very good and very interesting because they, they use the Bible to explain the origins and the thoughts of, uh, of Halloween. The Bible does not mention Halloween. However, both the ancient origins of Halloween and its modern customs show that it was celebrated both on a um, celebrated basis on false beliefs about the dead and invisible spirits or demons. And so, um, you know, from that point, the Bible warns that there must never be Anyone among you who consults ghosts or spirits or calls up the dead. Um, and he referenced Deuteronomy 18, 10 through 12. Um, let's pick it up in Deuteronomy 18, verse 9. He says, When you are come into the land which the Lord your God gives you, you shall not learn to do of the things of the abominations of those nations. Now, <laughs> most of us were born in America, except a couple of them here, <laughs> that were uh, or foreigners and, um, that have come amongst us and become citizens. But they also had their own particular things going on in, in, in their area. And so wherever you are, whatever you're captured in, you still can follow God's commandments not to pick up those things that are outside of God's truth. He says, There shall not be found among you any that makes his son or his daughter to pass through the fire that uses divination or an observer of times or an enchanter or a witch or a charmer or a consulter with familiar spirits or a wizard or a necromancer. For all that do those, these things are an abomination unto the Lord. They are an abomination unto the Lord. And so... We are the Lord's children, so they should be an abomination unto us also. And because of those abominations, the Lord your God is, does drive them out before you. You shall be perfect with the Lord your God. For these nations which you shall possess, hearken unto uh, to observe time, uh, observers of times and unto uh, diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not suffered uh, you so. I remember one time, even in the church, people have played with something so devious, so diabolical, and that is the Ouija board. 
if anybody is as familiar with that, that diabolical piece of equipment, you can actually call up an evil spirit if you want. And I, I have known people that have said that is really a thing you want to leave alone. Do not have anything to do with it. It is very, very evil. In this, um, this continuing this interesting article here, it says, uh, um, while some view Halloween as harmless fun, the Bible indicates that the practices associated with it are not. And so in 1 Corinthians, uh, the, the 10th chapter, verses 20 and 21, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that you should be at fellowship with devils. You cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. And so when we get involved in things that are, um, especially this particular thing called Halloween, it is, a, it is the day in which the, um, they call up um, the demons. Let's read, read the rest of this. Uh, I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink of the cup of the Lord. Um, and, and that's what we just read, and that was out of the International Version. Sam Hain, the origin of the Halloween can be traced to its ancient pagan festival celebrated by the Celtic people over 2,000 years ago. Uh, the World Book Encyclopedia, the Celts believed that the, the dead could walk among the living at this time. Um, during Samhain, or Soam, I think that's um, the Celtic uh, way of pronouncing that, the living could visit the dead. However, the Bible clearly teaches that the dead are, are conscious of nothing at all. And we understand that from Ecclesiastes, the ninth chapter, verse 5. For the living know that they are that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. Neither have they any more a reward, for the memory of them is forgotten, and their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished. Neither have they any more a portion, uh, forever in in any uh, thing that is, is done under the sun, except we understand about the resurrection. And of course, um, that also was uh, something that we have gained a, a true understanding that someday God will resurrect those people, that they might have a chance. The costumes, the candy, the trick-or-treat. According to the Book of Halloween, an American holiday and an American history, uh, some of the uh, Celts wore ghoulish costumes so that wandering the spirits would mistake them for one of their own and leave them alone. Others offered sweets uh, to the spirits to appease them. In the medieval Europe... The Catholic clergy adopted local pagan customs and had their uh, adherents uh, go from house to house wearing costumes and requesting small gifts. The Bible on this, on the other hand, does not permit merging false religious practices with worship of, of, of God. And that's in 2 Corinthians 6, uh, 17. It says, um, And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be you separate, says the Lord. And touch not the unclean and I will receive you. And, 
and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So even in something that seems as simple as a one-night thing, God still instructs us, doesn't he? He has instruction that we can understand, that we can come to understand why these are things that we probably should not have our um, be doing. Ghosts, vampires, werewolves, witches, and zombies, these have long been associated with evil spirit world. The Bible clearly states that we should um, oppose wicked spirit forces, not celebrate with them. Ephesians 6.12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness uh, of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And and you can see the, the result of some of this. And my neighbor, hope he doesn't watch. <laughs> uh, I would kind of, uh, if, he, if he's over the fence and looking at me when I get home, I'll know he was watching. Anyway, my, my neighbor has, he's always been one that likes to decorate his yard for all of the, the um, holidays. And this time he decorated his yard with a whole bunch of dolls, all with blood all over them and looking like little zombies. Uh, we looked over there and both of us just shook our head. What's the matter with him? I mean, it, it's almost like child abuse to, to do something like that. But he gets very, very much into the, um, the, the thing of, of all of these holidays and does not understand. Halloween pumpkins or jack-o'-lanterns. In medieval Britain, supplicants moved from door to door asking for food in return for a prayer for the dead. And they would carry hollowed-out turnip lanterns whose candle uh, connoted a soul trapped in purgatory. Others say that the lanterns were used to ward off evil spirits. During the 1800s in North America, pumpkins replaced turnips because they were plentiful as well as easy to hollow out and carve. The beliefs behind this custom, the immortality of the soul, purgatory, and the prayers for the dead, are, they not, based, are not based on the Bible. And you can look in Ecclesiastes 18.4, and it says, Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Souls belong to God. They don't, um, and God has a plan, we know that. It was interesting that Matt last week brought out, and then uh, it was read again, um, uh, Isaiah 2, 1 through 4. And we all look forward to that time. We all look forward to the day in which the the Feast of Tabernacles will be in Jerusalem. You know, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, it says in the Scriptures. And the reason for that is that day will come when we will be keeping that feast in Jerusalem and they will come up, as we find in Zechariah, the 14th chapter. And it's interesting, God has opened our eyes also, not just to the idea um, of how these holidays are pagan, but to his plan. He's given us an understanding of the Sabbath, 
instead of keeping Sunday. He's given us an understanding that um, Christ was not born in the middle of the winter and did not celebrate um, the Saturnalia of the Romans. And besides that, Christ never kept a mass. I've often wondered about that one because that just goes over people's heads. Ishtar, um, which is a mistake, it should be Passover in the scriptures, is celebrated and, and it's totally uh, a pagan time. Valentine's Day and all the man-made days are, um, we can understand them. We can understand that God says, no, don't do that. He has his own days to keep, his own times to keep. And that's what we are to do. We are to come before him to observe his times. In Isaiah, the second chapter, all of that interesting stuff up there in those, those verses of the kingdom of God. And then what does God do? He corrects them in the next few verses. In Isaiah 2, verse 6, Therefore you have forsaken your people, the house of Jacob, because they be replenished from the east, and the soothsayers like the Philistines, and they please themselves in the children of strangers. Now that one got me. I started thinking, what in the world was that? And so I went and looked up uh, a couple of the words that please themselves is sophok, a prime root to clap the hands in token of compact, derision, grief, indignation, or punishment by implication of satisfaction to be enough by implication of excess um, to vomit, to clap, to smite, to strike, to suffice, to wallow, to please themselves in the children. That one comes from Yaled, which um, from something born, that is a lad or offspring, a boy, a child, fruit, son, young man. That kind of leads you to think that this was a very um, sinful thing that they were doing, more like what we have in our own society today, in which uh, certain individuals want uh, to find young men and young boys um, to um, do some very, very bad things with. And so the last word, strangers, uh, it's strange in a variety of degrees and applications. Foreign, not relative, adulterous, different and wonderful. Alien, foreigner, outlandish, strange, or stranger or woman. Um, I tried to find a little bit more um, uh, a, a translation that brought that out a little bit better, but I couldn't find it. So from there, you can, you can take it. It was very interesting how that was worded. They were already, in their time, they were already allowing certain things to happen in, in the society that God said were an abomination, just like today. Their land is full of silver and gold, neither the end of their treasures, their land is also full of horses, neither are their end of their chariots. <laughs> Sounds like the day, isn't it? <laughs> we got cars, we, um, we, have, we still have horses, but uh, the way to get around today is uh, by, by car, or by truck, by boat. Uh, we have a lot. And the land is full of silver and gold. In other words, it's full of richness. 
The next verse kind of gives you an idea of what God thinks about that. Because the land's also full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, they that which their own fingers have made. And the, <clears throat> the mean man, <clears throat> excuse me, the mean man bows down, and the great man humbles himself. Therefore, forgive them not. This one has a prophetic look to it. Isaiah 2, verse 10. Enter into the rock and hide you in the dust for fear of the Lord and for the glory of His majesty. If you go to Revelation 6, verse 15 at the end, because this, these are in also end-time prophecies, you go to verse, Revelation 6, verse 15. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief uh, captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. And said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? And so even before John was in the Spirit, on that last day of the Lord, the Lord's day, which was the, um, in the wrath of God, not Sunday, it's the wrath of God on the, on, the, on the earth. Even before that, Isaiah printed this and put it down. Enter into the rock and hide you in the dust for the fear of the Lord and for the glory of His majesty. And you know when, the, when He returns, it's going to be a powerful event. And I want to be on that side. <laughs> I want to be up there on that side looking down and seeing those people hiding. I don't want to be the ones hiding. I want to be on that side looking down. Verse 11, the lofty looks of man shall be humble, and the haughtiness of man shall be bowed down, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. Our whole life as his children are to exalt God and to praise Him and to give Him the glory and to worship Him. Not men. You know, I don't want anybody having anything. <laughs> I don't think He would, but um, I'm not that articulate or anything, but there are men that have come along and swayed people to follow them to their doom and to their death because of their ability to sway man's minds. We are to be swayed by the Word of God. We are to be swayed by the Spirit that brings us understanding and truth, not by the words of men. For the day of the Lord of hosts upon everyone that's proud and lofty and upon everyone lifted up, and he shall be brought low. And upon all the cedars of Lebanon, high and lifted up, and upon all the oaks of Bashan. Now, for those who like to do a little deeper Bible study, I went and I tried to find this. I think the best one that I found was in Ezekiel. And I think it talks about um, Assyria and the Assyrians. In verse three, uh, chapter, three of verse, uh, chapter 31 and verse 3. Beginning of verse 3, Behold the Assyrian, a cedar in Lebanon, 
with fair branches and with shadowing shroud and a high stature, and his top was among the thick boughs. The waters made him great. The deep set him up on high with his rivers running round about his plants and set out her little rivers into all the trees of the field. Therefore his height was exalted above all the trees of the field, and his boughs were multiplied, and his branches become long because of the multitude of waters when he shot forth. All the fowls of heaven made their nests in, in his boughs, and under his branches did all the beasts of the field bring forth their young under the shadow that dwelt all the great nations. Thus was he fair in his greatness and his length of his branches, for his root was, not, uh, was by uh, great waters. The cedars in the garden of God could not hide him. The fir trees were not like his boughs, and the chestnut trees were not like his branches, nor any trees in the garden of God was like unto him in his beauty. I have made him fair by the multitude of his branches, so that all the trees of Eden that is in the garden of God envied him. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have lifted up yourself in height and have, made, and have shot up his uh, top among the thick brows and his heart is lifted up in his height. I have therefore delivered him into the hand of the mighty one of the heathen, and he shall surely deal with him. I have driven him out for his wickedness. And strangers, the terrible of the nations, have cut him off and have left him upon the mountains. And in all the valleys his branches are, are fallen and his boughs are broken by all the rivers of the land. And all the people of the earth are gone down from his shadow and have left him. So we see, um, I'm not sure that completely answers all of the questions about this particular uh, one. And all the cedars of Lebanon that are high and lifted up and all the oaks of Bashan. We know that God will bring all those down. He says, upon all the high mountains, upon all the hills that are lifted up. And we found in the beginning of chapter 2 that God will take and make sovereignty over all the nations. They will all be under the sovereign government of God. It will be a theocratic government. There will not be anything that usurps the government of God. It will be a powerful government, and we will all be a part of it. That's what he's calling us for, brethren. That's, what he's, that's why he continues on calling those that he needs in his kingdom. And he wants in his kingdom. And he loves us. And those of us that are worshiping him, living to the best of our ability in, in his light, which is his word, he will bring us into that kingdom. And we will be ruling with Christ in that day. And all the high, high mountains upon all the hills will be that are lifted up, and upon every high tower, and upon every fenced wall, and upon all the ships of Tarshish, and upon all the pleasant pictures. It, the ships of Tarshish is interesting because that's the burden of Tyre. How you ships of Tarshish, for it is laid waste, so that there is no house, no entering in from the land of Shittim. It is revealed to them. That is uh, Isaiah 23, verse 1. And I just, I just pulled that one up and just for you to read, um, uh, uh, to be read today. In Isaiah, Isaiah 2.17, the loftiness of man shall be bowed down. 
The haughtiness of men shall be made low. The Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. You know, for our own um, sakes, understanding that we have a, a temporal life. We are very tempor temporary in this life. I think I calculated one time from God's uh, thousand years uh, is like a day with God. That gives us about ten minutes in God's presence. Um, and so use that time wisely, as they say. Use that time wisely. And idols he shall utterly abolish. Verse 18. Isaiah 27, verse 9. And this therefore shall be the iniquity of Jacob. Um, shall the iniquity of Jacob be purged. And this and all the fruit to take away his sin. When he makes all the stones of the altar as chalk stones that are beaten in asunder. The groves and the images shall not stand up. God will get rid of all of this. He will uh, utterly destroy all of the idols and everything that uh, men have created and destroy them. In verse 19, And they shall go into the holes and the rocks, into the caves of the earth, for the fear of the Lord and for the glory of His majesty, when He arises to shake the terrible earth. In verse 20, in that day a man shall cast his idols of silver and his idols of gold which they make for himself to worship to the moles and to the bats. I got to thinking about um, gold and silver. You know, it's always been a, a standard uh, up until World War II when gold was made illegal to own. And then <clears throat> um, I think Johnson is the one that made silver uh, uh, illegal to own. And yet, they are the only base metals that, well, that and platinum maybe today would, would also be something that uh, would be a good base metal for uh, a standard for a nation to have. And for those of us who are old enough, we probably remember, some remember the old gold certificates that were still running around, but they didn't honor them with gold. But the silver certificates that, we, that, that were there by the way, it said right at the top, silver certificate. And if you wanted a silver coin, you could take that bill down to the bank, hand it to them, and they give you a silver dollar. <laughs> Today, what's your bill says? <laughs> it's a Federal Reserve note. It's fiat money. Um, and it scares me because we, we just print it. We just make more of it, we print more of it, and we just print it. <laughs> they go to the Federal Reserve and say, yeah, I want another couple of trillion. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, and we've got another couple of trillion. What even scares me more is that people have even more faith in something that doesn't even exist. And it's called the Bitcoin. It's a cloud. It's in Never Never Land. And they say that it has almost 60,000 potential as dollars. It's, it boggles my mind. Uh, you know, maybe somebody understands that, but in this, def, in this age that we live in, uh, you can be extremely fooled into believing something that doesn't even exist is real. And we've been using it for a very long time because fiat money really does not pay off anything. It's just recirculated debt. And uh, thankfully, it still allows us to buy something to eat and something to drink and buy a car and things like that. 
But when it collapses, the whole of the United States and the whole of the world is going to suffer because of it. It is going to suffer. It'll be worthless. Essentially, even the gold and silver will be worthless. Um, if there's nothing on the shelves and there's nothing to buy, just like in Venezuela, which is very difficult, uh, you, you, if you have a, a wheelbarrow full of their hundred, what is it, or million dollar uh, bolivars or whatever they call them now, a wheelbarrow full of that might buy some bread. That's how far down they have gone. And they were one of the most wealthiest countries in the world. And we are working our way into that if we don't wake up, if we don't do something fiscally proper uh, very soon. And God has given instruction about how to you know, just waste, just um, um, meet. Uh, and we do, to some degree, we do that. We have uh, a box on the outside says this is, it settles, but this is exact weight, 12 ounces, 16 ounces, that you go wear it, and it's probably 16 ounces or 12 ounces because the laws have been set. But in some things, especially in monetary things, it seems like it can be, you, can, you can be fooled by the, th these things. And so someday this stuff is going to be worthless. And go to the cliffs and to the rocks and into the tops of the ragged rocks for the fear of the Lord, for the glory of his majesty, when he arises to shake terribly the earth. Cease ye from man whose breath is in his nostrils, for wherein is he to be accounted of? Yeah, and um, Ken is very much aware of, of, of breath. And, it's, and I have had that situation too. <laughs> uh, I didn't lose my oxygen, but I, I could not get rid of the, the bad stuff out. And I know what it's like not to be able to breathe. It is very uh, disconcerting. Very very uh, much you could come to God and ask, please uh, help me. In Psalm 146, it is a beautiful psalm. Praise ye the Lord. We, we just got through. Praise ye the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises unto my God while I have any being. Put not your trust in princes, in the Son of Man, in whom is, there is no help. His breath goes forth, he returns to the earth. In the very day his thoughts perish. Happy is he that, the, uh, that has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, which made heaven and earth and sea and all that therein, which keeps truth forever, which executes judgment for the oppressed, which gives food to the hungry. The Lord loosens the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises them that are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord preserves the strangers. He, um, he relieves the father, relieves the fatherless, the widow. But the way of the wicked he turns aside, uh, upside down. The Lord shall reign forever. Thy God, O Zion, unto all generations, praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord.
So what is our life? So what is our life? What is it worth? It's not in gold and silver. It's, it's not in the tangible things of life, is it? It's not, it's not in the physical things. Because one of these days, when they lay you back down in that casket, you can't take it. Even though they, <laughs> some of the cultures thought they could, as the pharaohs, they would, they would have these pyramids full of stuff, um, thinking that they were going to the next place, and so they'd be able to use it. Uh, the pharaohs would have all of their goods and things, and they would be able to use it. And Of course, they would kill all the servants, too, along with them, so they'd have a whole bunch of servants to go with, with them. But we know from what the scripture says that when that day comes, we are like we came out of the womb. We're naked and dead. We're naked and dead. And so, what is our life? The scriptures are very profound in helping us to understand how, how um, to have a really strong relationship with God and to understand when we have the Spirit of God, how we are protected. In Romans, the 12th chapter, verse 1, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That is what our life is all about, especially when you come to God and you accept God as and Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and you begin uh, a new life, a new man. In Hebrews, the 12th chapter, verse 22, it says, But you are, come, you are not come unto the Mount of Sion, uh, Sion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, um, I'm not reading that right. I'll go back. <laughs> Let's get this right. But you are come unto Mount Zion and the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, and to, the in, and to an innumerable company of angels. We can come by prayer. That's how we do it. We, when you visualize this, when you visualize this, you are strengthened because you now are in that realm that God is. To the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the saints of just men made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks of better things than Abel. See that you refuse not him that speaks, for if they escape not who refused him that spoke on the earth, much more uh, shall not we much escape if we shall turn away from him that speaks from heaven. Because we get our, our understanding and our, and our hope and all of it from the scriptures, which are God-breathed, come straight out of the work of God. Whose voice then spoke the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more, I shall shake not the earth only, but also the heaven. And this word 
yet once more signifies the removing of those things that are shaken as the things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with the reverence and godly fear. That's us. That's our calling. That's us in our life. And the last thing that we understand in that verse, verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. Amen.